The Hogs are going to Omaha. Oh, intermission. No, it's halftime. You can actually feel Razorback Stadium shaking underneath our feet right now. You just got to keep living, man. L-I-V-I-N. Arkansas wins the national championship. What I say when it comes to this basketball team is the law. Absolutely and without discussion. I have been trying to get you together with Ty. Strikeouts are boring. Besides that, they're fascist. Throw some ground balls. It's more democratic. This is the Halftime Podcast, presented by Jeff's Clubhouse. Today was the day after two days and seven coaches and 21 players that spoke and had nothing to do with the Arkansas Razorbacks, and none of them really asked any questions about Arkansas either. Uh, Chad Morris did get up in front of the media and on television, and you might have heard his uh, comments right here on ESPN Arkansas and hitthatline.com at about uh, 10. They said 10.20 in the morning, a little bit of a late arrival, by about 10.25 is when Chad Morris got up there and spoke. And uh, I'm Phil Elson. we got Ty Richardson there in Hoover at SEC Media Days, Tommy Craig running the ship back in Barling. Uh, Ty, you know, w- when we saw the, the, the schedule of which coaches would be speaking on what day and at what time, y- y- you had to chuckle a little bit that you had Chad Morris going at the same session uh, this morning as Nick Saban. And we'd, we'd heard uh, last week about the giant scrum around Saban when he enters the hotel. There's too many people inside the lobby to the point where they need to get him to come in through a back entrance like a rock star. Uh, it's, it's a little bit of a different uh, welcoming for you know, any of the other coaches, and, and certainly I would put Chad Morris on that list because, you know, last year you had uh, you had uh, Alabama uh, end up as an SEC champion again. Who was in dead last? If you, were, you know, I know we got two divisions of seven teams, but there was only one team that went 0-8, and, and, and that was Arkansas. So you had the two extremes going today. You had one coach answering questions about how you bounce back from an embarrassing national championship loss, and then you have questions going to a coach trying to find a way how do you – continue to try to move a program forward in your second year after a 2-10 and 10 season, including 0-8 in conference. I mean, you were right there to see it all. First of all, what, what the scrum around Nick Saban is nothing that I've ever quite seen in such close quarters. And you were right there to see it. What was that like? building was unbelievable and this is my third time to experience it live i've watched it a few other times on the sec network but when you experience it live and we're lucky to be kind of in the middle of radio row i feel bad for guys like josh ward basil and others who are close so close to the lobby that when they're trying to do a radio show there's people yelling and screaming hooting and hollering i have trouble feeling bad for david basil ever can i just put that out there that's fair the way he looks and And i mean that in a positive way i love the guy but, yeah, I mean, it's just too perfect. Man, it's just it, – it's something out here. And Birmingham being about 52 miles from Tuscaloosa kind of helps add fans, particularly from Alabama, coming down here. But, I mean, you got a coach who's the best uh, – arguably the best ever. I mean, that's going to bring in a flock of fans. Plus, it's SEC football. People are excited. Even Chad Morris, when he came in, there was a bunch of Alabama fans that tried to get his autograph and tried to get him to sign stuff. Now, there's this guy – 
that I have noticed every single year since I've attended. He gets different coaches to sign everything. I'm assuming he sells it online or does something of that nature. But even Chad Morris got quite an ovation from Alabama fans when he walked in. There was yelling and screaming. I was like, who else just came in? And then, sure enough, it was Chad Morris. So it's just SEC football in general. Phil brings in excitement that you just don't see in other offseasons in college sports. Are they cheering for Chad Morris because they're just being polite and they feel bad for him? Or do you really think that they really care about Arkansas Razorback football one bit? Well, I think when you have a head coach of any program, and Chad comes across as a nice guy. He's not a it's not a D-bag or anything like that. And so he, he, he doesn't – people don't gravitate him like Saban or some of the other coaches in this conference. But he's he's forthcoming. He's uh, he, he's friendly to fans and, uh, and other programs' fans. So and it's just the nature of head coach and just the possibility, hey, if I can get this dude's autograph, I could possibly sell it for, for something on the Internet. I mean, you know how the Internet is these days. Things are worth money. People, they can make a buck. They're going to try to. But, yeah, definitely, he definitely did not – bring in the same type of reaction that Nick Saban did once he entered the building. You know, I guess we'll find out tomorrow when Gus Malzahn is there whether or not you get any sort of that reaction from the Auburn Tiger faithful that uh, seem to feel a little bit differently about their head coach than uh, Alabama does. And, uh, you know, most uh, most Razorback fans are still uh, in wait-and-see mode, I think, about Chad Morris in year number two. There will certainly be a lot more minds made up, I think, in this year, whether that is fair or not. And uh, he had a lot to talk about, uh, quite a lot to talk about, not just up on his, uh, on his. Uh, well, how long was he up there? About 20, 25 minutes. He was on various radio stations on the Morning Rush this morning with uh, Ty and uh, also with Tommy and John Neighbors. Uh, I know he's on some other radio stations. Saw him on the, uh, on the set with uh, Gene Chizik and Jordan Rogers. Uh, so, I mean, it is uh, officially, if you want to talk about talking season, which we've been in the middle of now for the entire week, it's uh, more talking that Chad Morris will do in front of microphones today uh, than maybe at any other point until the start of, of practice. So there was a lot to get to, and that's something that we'll be hitting on quite a bit throughout the show today, along with three guests, which, I mean, I, so I feel like you're a slacker today, Ty, because yesterday we I had am. four. What happened to the fourth guest? We only have three today. We have uh, Chris Childers. Uh, of uh, Sirius XM, one of the great radio hosts there focusing on college football, host of the full ride, and uh, really does pay heavy, heavy attention to the SEC as the uh, daily host of SEC Today on ESPN Radio and XM. Plus, Herb Vincent, the SEC Associate Commissioner for Communications, will join us. Of course, Herb, for a long time, was uh, the Sports Information Director and Associate Chancellor uh, for Communications for Athletics at LSU and is a North Little Rock native, so we'll see how all those things uh, ended up working together into one human being. And Gabe Bach of uh, TexAgs.com for a uh, focus on the Texas A&M Aggies. And, of course, there are a couple of Razorbacks that you expect will play fairly large roles this year uh, that uh, came from Texas A&M. All of that, plus a lot of comments from Chad Morris. And I guess one of the first things to get to, Ty, was uh, we noticed there's some position changes for uh, two players right now. And R- Dalton Hyatt, second-year quarterback who was red-shirted last year, never got onto the field. And it makes sense that they're Moving him to wide receiver, Morris saying that he'd like to take advantage of Hyatt's athleticism. And they're mentioned they're they're talking about him as a wide receiver, and I think that that could be a difficult position to break through this year. But there's going to be a lot of competition for playing time and for throwing balls amongst that young wide receiver core. You might see Hyatt though make a pretty nice dent on special teams, where this team obviously needed some help too. Chad Morris talked 
with him this summer and they kind of echoed the same idea that it would probably be better for him to move positions and kind of like you're talking about you don't know if he's going to crack in that rotation but some guys just want to play man some guys regardless of their position they want to just get on the field I think we saw with AJ Derby a few years back where he just wanted to play football and I don't know about Hyatt's skill set as far as a wide receiver goes but if the dude wants to play I'm sure Chad Morris and his coaching staff can find a place on the field and it might not be and it's in fact it's not going to be as glamorous as the quarterback position or even a starting position on offense but if he can help out on special teams or anything it seems like he's going to do what's necessary because not only is the wide receiver room crowded Phil the quarterback room with the addition of Starkle Hicks I know they lost Nolan but KJ Jefferson coming in and then John Steve even Jones and others. I mean, that's not exactly an easy position to group to crack into either. So you kind of understand the move on his part. Well, you can also see, I mean, his size kind of fits into what the rest of the wide receiving core now is starting to look like, like Trey Knox and Traylon Burks, Shomar Nash, tall, speedy receivers. Hyatt at six foot four, near 200 pounds. Uh, maybe not make a dent at wide receiver this year. He's still a redshirt freshman. So it, uh, actually, they got him listed as a sophomore. Pardon me. So uh, still got a couple of years to make a dent. And also on the defensive side, um, it's, it's, there's still not a lot of depth. At, uh, on, on the defensive side, although you're rebuilding your secondary pretty much, and now you're taking one of the guys who started six games at Nickelback, Devon McClure, uh, from Nickelback to weak side linebacker. Six foot two, 215 junior out of Jacksonville uh, is making the move to linebacker. And what that tells you perhaps is that some of these young recruits that uh, could end up starting in the secondary, like Jalen Catalan at Nickel or Greg Brooks Jr., he started the spring game at Nickel, so I think you'll see more play time for either one of those two. Phil, is this the guy with the nickname Granddaddy Pluck? Is this yes, him? Yes, they okay, called him what, Pluck. Yeah. I didn't hear the granddaddy part. I'd heard the Pluck part, which to me is perfect for a nickelback. I don't know if it's the way you call a weak side linebacker. Because if I remember correctly, he played baseball for a few years and then is now participating with the Arkansas football team. Now, don't hold me that 100% because I'm not 100% on that, but I believe that's the case. So that's kind of stood out to me. And I think that position move just goes to show that they're hurting at linebacker depth. And we talked about, I think you had asked Bob, the questioner, another Arkansas uh, person last week about has that just been a problem since you arrived covering the team and they in so many words said yeah they just haven't really had linebacker depth and this is just another case example of that being the case Phil you hope that they don't have any detrimental injuries especially to a guy like Scooter Harris who came on the morning rush this morning because that would be just a monumental monumental loss for this football team if they were going to get injured somewhere it would probably be a linebacker well, and the rest of the linebacking core, I mean, they, they, they talked a lot about Bumper Pool, and of course, every time you mention Bumper, there's going to be the fact that they, they think he's got one of the best names in football, but I think they're expecting him to be a pretty productive linebacker right now, and I know Nikki Chavanel's told us that she thinks that Jack Zemos, the uh, freshman out of Richmond, Texas, could end up making a little bit of a dent in his uh, in his uh, true freshman year, and by the way, there are, speaking of freshmen, <laughs> 52 of them on this roster. So this is, uh, I almost feel like it, 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 it compares in ways to Mike Anderson's last basketball team. You know, they've got seniors on this football team, but it really leans towards inexperience and youth, which maybe in a couple of years leads to 
the fact that the experienced, more veteran players uh, know what they're doing and, and lead to some more wins. That's a combination of walk-on freshmen, redshirt freshmen, and true freshmen. And you think that some of these guys are going to be able to compete and possibly start this season. Now, I can't tell you the exact amount, the exact number, because I'm not going to go into that detail because I don't know that information. I don't even know if there's an Arkansas beat writer or someone who covers the Ragebacks that knows that information because we really haven't seen much of fall camp. But these guys are going to contribute. And Chad Morris has touched on that all offseason long, how this class, arguably the second best in school history, is going to get a shot at PT. After what you saw last year, you needed to bring in some competition. You did that. Now it's just a matter of, hey, are these guys ready to play at the SEC level? Not many freshmen are. We'll see which ones emerge in this upcoming year. Jeff Taylor and his staff over at Jeff's Clubhouse has a fantastic catering service, and they can almost cater up to any size. Give them a call today at 479-308-9123, or check them out on Facebook, or visit online at theclubhousefs.com. Now back to the Halftime Pod. Let's go. We're going to do some talking with Chris Childers, the host of SEC Today and the host of Full Ride on ESPNU Radio, Sirius XM Satellite. Chris, thanks for coming on today, and I appreciate you doing a little bit of a payback here for me. Yeah, you're welcome. It's an honor. I'm excited. This is day three, and I am getting more pumped every day for the start of football. Honestly, I, I just cannot wait for fall camp, storylines, competition battles, football games. Day one was like, okay, we're easing in. Day three, I'm like, let's put on some pads, hit somebody, let's go. I'm ready. I I saw people criticize, not criticizing, but just sort of talking about how yesterday was a boring day. They want bombs to be lobbed. They want fire to be thrown. Nobody's throwing that fire at SEC Media Days, and I guess you could say, well, you might be disappointed about that, but at the same time, there's no surprise right now because you still have coaches that are trying to find their footing at various locations, and they're all just, you know, aiming for the top right there up at Nick Saban. It was such a transition year last year. I mean, you look at all the new coaches, essentially half of the league was new. I mean, almost half of the league was new. If you throw Matt Luke into the mix, I think 6 of 14 had coaching turnover. So it was a new time. It was kind of a culture-building, feel it out. Where's Jeremy Pruitt in Tennessee? Where is... Arkansas, you know, we're state with Joe Moorhead, all those programs. I think it's a, you know, it's a steady build. But if you're looking for drama in media days, you're a moron. If you're looking for Urban Meyer crap to happen, that's not what this is for. I mean, people are here to promote their product. They're here to promote their football program. They're here to sell optimism and hope and all that kind of stuff. So nobody's, like, trying to be a dunce like Larry Fedora and say that CTE doesn't exist or... You know, the Urban Meyer belittling Brett McMurphy and then getting caught in a lie and all that kind of stuff. Like, that's not the goal. (laughs) You're not trying to come to media days and give yourself bad press. You're trying to promote optimism, hope springs eternal, everybody's undefeated, all of that kind of stuff. So I think with that said, it's been pretty ho-hum. Now, I honestly have, I'll be honest, I'm here at SEC Media Days all week. I have no idea what is happening at the podium. I have no idea what is happening on Radio Row. I, we sit in a room, so uh, Sirius XM is a contractual partner with the SEC, so every guest that's here they bring to us. So we are sitting in a room all day long just talking to kids and coaches. So we know what we want to ask them and what they're saying to us. We have no clue what's happening at a podium. So I don't know either way if there's controversy or not, unless I see it later online that night. 
But if you think it's boring, you're missing the point. Like, you're totally missing the point of what this is. It's not supposed to be a newsmaking event. It's not supposed to be controversial. It is supposed to be a four-day PR hype machine to spread the love, spread the message of the SEC, the league where it just means more. That's the design of these four days. And I think if it's boring, that means it's effective. And everything is going the way Commissioner Sankey envisioned it would go when they were putting together the schedule. Talking with Chris Childers, Sirius XM right now here on Halftime. Chris, you just got off talking with Nick Saban. And Phil and I were joking around yesterday. How long is it going to take before a media member ticks him off? And we were saying, ah, around 10 minutes or so. Did you tick him off in any way? No, sir. He kind of warned us. He was actually in great spirits. Nick Saban in great spirits. Too bad. He has always been, I got to tell you. I've never had a bad experience with Nick Saban. And I've interviewed him. I mean, not a, it's not like I'm talking to him once a week, but enough. And I've never came out of it like, man, that guy's a jerk or he's so rude. I mean, he he wants to talk about his kids. He wants to talk about football. Any of the other nonsense, that's when you kind of set him off and set him down a path. I think he had Clemson fatigue today and he kind of warned us going in it was his last major interview and he's like will you please ask me about something else because every single thing I've done has been about the Clemson Tigers so I prefaced it by saying this I said coach I'm not going to ask you about that game we know what happened in the game we know you we know you're motivated we know you don't want to waste the loss I get all that I already know what you're going to say before I even ask you so we can spare that breath what I do want to know because here's here's what I think is interesting about this Clemson elevation in the world you know what's interesting with Nick Nick to me what's so interesting about Nick is that Nick is the greatest of all time in my eyes but he's so into picking other brains he'll bring you know randomly pre-hiring Lane Kiffin Lane on campus to pick his brain he worships Bill Belichick and, and really studies him and I said coach I know you're a guy your head's not up your own butt, if you will. I didn't say it that way. But your head's not up your own butt, if you will, where your way is the, is the only way. And I said, you got a guy now that is an Alabama guy that has developed a program as successful as yours at Clemson. I'm not going to ask you about the final game. I want to know if you've studied Dabo. What is Dabo doing so well? He's doing it a little bit different than you. There's certainly similarities. What is he doing well? And, he, you know, he waxed poetic about how he's friends with Dabo. They have vacation homes in the same town and they hang out with each other. Things I didn't know. And how he really has a healthy respect for the way he runs a program. A little bit different than Nick, but certainly something that Nick appreciates, admires, and he's studied how he's done it. So I just saw Braden Gall walk by and we were talking about this before you came on. You used to produce Bill Keen's show. We yeah. have, Bill ha- have on Bill every single week. I used to help out with his show back when I was in Nashville for a year. What was your relationship like with Bill, and what did you learn from him? Because he's kind of the early on, I, I, I don't know what—I don't know if caveman's the right word, but he's really the guy that kicked all the sports radio stuff off. Well, the yes, he did, especially from college, college, college football. Let me, yeah, yeah, label it college football-wise. From a college football perspective, he did. I mean, he was the first one, to my knowledge, that was on any sort of national platform that was talking about it exclusively. And so he's a pioneer from that perspective. Also, to me, what's amazing, you know, we see uh, right next to your table here is 247sports.com. When I started in the business, I worked for Rivals. Braden Gall worked for Rivals. Bill was Rivals Radio. So you have all these scouts and 24-7s and ESPNs and all that. To me, Bill King started that. 
Like that really, yeah, if you Shannon, want it, Shannon yeah, mentioned it, that. But if like you want to credit, if you want to credit somebody for being the pioneer of recruiting, I think you got to look at Bobby Burton and Bill King. Because Bill King, back in the day when it came to the SEC, he was running 900 numbers. Like that, but pre-websites and rivals and looking at, you know, recruiting databases and film. College football fans were, everybody's passionate. College football fans wanted knowledge. Everybody's much. It was not as accessible as it is now. So people would pay, you know, $1.99 a minute or, you know, $3.99 a minute, call into Bill's hotline and find out what's going on. Who offered who? Who's looking at who? That's a business model that he had no clue whether or not there was a market for it, whether it would work, whether people would call and spend two dollars. It obviously worked, and and it, it it has pioneered and and stemmed off you know this multi million dollar business that is still thriving today. And we talk about recruiting in a whole different light that we did fifteen twenty years ago from a coverage standpoint. So he's a pioneer. He's a guy that. Um, unfortunately, I have not spoken to him in years. Um, nothing against him at all. Our paths just haven't crossed, and we haven't uh, spent much time. I think there is a bit of maybe um, bitterness from the way things ended at Sirius XM, which I had nothing. You know, that's not me. I, I adore Bill. I look up to Bill. He, I still do. I still look at him as a mentor. By things way, happen. He said nothing bad to say Yo, about and I, I've talked about And I before. would never in my life yeah. – I mean, I, I have – so much respect and admiration and um, look, look to him that I, I probably would not be here without him. And what I learned, the airtime that he gave me, all of that kind of stuff. Um, so a healthy admiration. Wish he was still in my life. Unfortunately, he's not, but he's always going to be somebody I look up to. Ty, do I get to tell Bill next week when you when he comes on that you called him a caveman? Can I say you are the Neanderthal of college football talk? Well, I, was to, I was trying to think of a term that could describe him for basically being <laughs> the front runner for kicking this whole. How about pioneer? Pioneer, pioneer works well. That's a much. That's a pioneer. Well, uh, I think that plays really well. I love the caveman thing. You know, uh, Chris, I, I, I know you're kind of like Larry Lucchino, the former uh, president of the Red Sox, and how you refer to Alabama the same way that Lucchino referred to the Yankees as the evil empire. I think mm-hmm. you, you call Alabama the Death I do. Star. I so, do. You know, now, I got a little bit of an issue with that, and here's why. Okay. You know, the Death Star eventually was blown up by Darth Vader's son, and no Saban assistant has beaten Saban yet. Now, I know, you know, Dombo went to Alabama, and he's blown up the Death Star a couple of times, but he's not Darth Vader's son. So, I, I, I But just, he's I, Alabama's son. Yeah, he is Alabama's so son. He's you, Alabama's you, son. You could use it in that sense. So, I mean, look, it, we, it, we can't pay attention to the details too much. Right. <laughs> just, it is something that, you know, to me, when I look at Nick Saban, there's this aura, there's this presence that resembles Darth Vader. Like, I, I literally think he's going to come in and put his arm out, and I'm going to start choking. I have my aspirations, right? Like, that's, that's Nick Saban. There's this something about the behemoth program, the culture... The take no prisoners, let's beat everybody by a thousand points mentality. To me, that is very Star Wars, very evil emperor kind of stuff that we see from Nick Saban. Okay, so I think I think LSU is the Star Wars cantina, just in the, th- the thing that it goes there. So if Alabama is the Death Star and LSU is the cantina, yeah. what is what is Arkansas? Is Arkansas Alderan? Are they the rebel base? How do you put what 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 role does Arkansas play okay, in the Star Wars universe? I, I know that I'm talking to Fort Smith, Arkansas, right now. Um, how do you got to be, be honest. We, I think I think Arkansas so, fans understand you, you know seen, where they sit right now. Have you seen the recent uh, movies with Ray and and the whole mm-hmm. Kylo Ren thing? Yep. 
So you know when Ray refers to her home planet Jakku, and everybody's like, "That's nowhere." Yes, Arkansas is Jakku right okay. now in college football. It is irrelevant. It is meaningless. It's hardly there. But as we know, things run in cycles in college football. So irrelevance today doesn't mean irrelevance tomorrow. O and eight, zero and eight. I mean, it is. It is what it is. When you have the switch over from Brett Bielema, when you have a drastic change in philosophy. To Chad Morris, there's going to be a struggle and grind. And Chad Morris, I talked to him today, does not shy away from that at all. He's like, if you expect us to do big things this year, you're wrong. Like, it's just, it's not, it's, we are not built, so pump the brakes. But in time, if we get enough of this buildup and buy-in and all that kind of stuff, we're going to be great. So I think right now they're Jakku. They're kind of there and irrelevant and a part of the storyline, but not really. Uh, it's going to take some time for them to be considered in the Ogas Cantina uh, kind of realm when it comes to when it comes to the world of Star Wars, but yeah, I would say right now Jakku, they're there, they're breathing, they're living. There's a pulse, but there's a lot to do to get back to relevancy in SEC and in college football. Speaking yeah. of Star Wars, Phil, Nick Saban just walked by our table, Lord right Saban, now, live from. Uh, Do you hear the right crowd now? roar? Yeah. I, mean, I heard it's that. insane. Yeah. <laughs> you can't it's insane. That. It was actually the guys next to us from Max Roundtable that were. Screaming and hollering for Coach Saban. I don't. I don't envy the guys that are right next to the lobby trying to do a radio show right now. That just that does not entice me whatsoever. All right, Chris, have you made your selections with the the top seven in each division? Or are you still waiting to do that till Thursday? No, I did. Um, I never submitted to the league though. I probably should. I just am so lazy with that. Uh, I probably should vote right. Uh, I have. I got to remember. Uh, Bama was number one in the West, Georgia in the East, which is everybody's, and that's not novel. Uh, my number two in the East was Florida. I think where where it gets a little bit weirder. I've got Missouri three, Vandy four. I think Vandy's going to be Vandy really good. Four. I think Vandy is on the verge of a massive eight nine win breakthrough Nick, this year. Vaughn, those boys. Best group, best collection of skill guys they've ever had as a group, plus a quarterback that I personally think is an improvement. Riley Neal from uh, what they had in Sherman. Sherman was good, but I think Neal's kind of more that dual threat you need to have success at Vanderbilt, and I think he's a better fit there. So I really like them. Outside of Vandy, it's kind of a muddy mess in the SEC East. You know, Tennessee, do they improve? I don't know. Um, What happens across the board with a Kentucky that they've lost Josh Allen and guys like that? I don't know. So I put Kentucky slightly ahead of Tennessee. I put South Carolina at seventh just based on schedule. But South Carolina could be pretty good. So we'll, we'll see. I think three through seven is a mystery. Now when you look at the West, Bama, I go Auburn too. And then LSU, and then you kind of go from there. I really believe that Auburn is going to have a massive year. And I think they're going to be a thorn in Alabama's butt in the Iron Bowl. And I think that's going to be the pathway to Atlanta is that final game. I fully expect, and Auburn's kind of lying in the weeds, a lot of people doubting Gus. I fully expect a transformation. I expect the offense to pick up the right guys. The right guy is calling the plays now. His name is Gus Malzahn. I think it's going to be a quarterback who's got legs. Gus should never have a pro-style passing quarterback and a guy who's not dynamic in the dual threat like Jared Stidham. It never fits. Uh, I think the offense takes off. I think the defense with Kevin Steele is fantastic. I think they're second in the West, and LSU's right behind them. Chris, you're an MTSU guy. Uh, guy. Before we let you go, did you go to school, or were you close to Joe Craddock when he was a quarterback? So I knew Joe. Uh, I always admired Joe because Joe was the starting quarterback who was dating the hottest girl on campus. Go figure. And he's like 5'8". Like, he's as tall as I am. He's not a tall guy. 
and he was marching around with this, you know, 15 on a 10 scale. And I was like, I just, I love you, Joe Craddock. And it, like, I would watch game, like, I would sit with his mom sometimes in the stands, and hell, his mom was hot. I'm like, there's just something going on here with the Craddocks that they're better people than me. Like, they're just not, they're just better, and I accept that. I did know Joe. I watched him practice every single day. I was one of those guys that would hang out at practice every single day, and the coaching staff was very good to me. And now, I, is this in school or after? Uh, both, both. In and out, yeah. And uh, the coaching staff was always so sweet to me, so I would just kind of hang around and be a part of it and sometimes play catch with Joe and warm him up before practice and, and stuff like that. So I did know Joe. Um, haven't talked to him in a long time. Would love to talk to him again. I wonder if he remembers who I am. But, yeah, definitely knew Joe and always envied him because I don't know what he's got. He Maybe the same girl. My, I, I don't know what's going on with Joe. Uh, but I, he was my hero back in the day, let me tell you right now. You can mention that to him if you ever tell him. Say, this guy in the media thought you had the hottest chick in the entire world. So, Well, this this is all being recorded, as you know, so we'll make sure we play it, play it at yeah. some point. Yeah. And he'll be like, cool. You know it. Yeah, <laughs> you know that's it. right. Yep. Chris, this was a lot of fun talking with you. Thanks for coming on. Enjoy the rest of Hoover, and uh, happy trails on uh, on uh, Sirius XM. Woo-pig. Yeah, that's right. See you Didn't even have to throw in the jacu right there. Not even a jacu pig. <laughs> woo jacu. <laughs> Jeff's Clubhouse has the best brunch in town every Saturday from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m., bottomless mimosas, an endless buffet, and so much more. 2801 Old Greenwood Road in Fort Smith. More Halftime Pod coming at you. And Herb Vincent is uh, with us right now, an Arkansas native who is the SEC Associate Commissioner in charge of communications. And that's what this is all about this week, isn't that, Herb? It's about communications from uh, all the important people involved in football in the SEC. And uh, we've heard it referred to as, you know, like a PR week and everything. But it's really about getting this conference back out uh, and, uh, and, and talked about, which really I never thought that there was an issue trying to get people talking about SEC football. No, there's really not. Uh, I've seen it referred to as the beginning of talking season. I guess it's everything that you say from now until the beginning of the season when you actually uh, tee it up. So uh, it's the beginning of talking season. There's a lot of talking going on this week. So we have a good time. There's four days here. I don't think any other conference goes more than two, but uh, the level of interest in the Southeastern Conference kind of demands it. So we're having a good time. We're past the halfway point and cruising into Thursday. You know, it's funny. We were talking about all the other events that the SEC puts on during the season. The baseball tournament, the basketball tournament, and the uh, the championship game, amongst all the other uh, you know large events and championship tournaments that, that that happen, usually have like a fan aspect of it. If it's a fan fest, as I go to, to Hoover for the baseball tournament, you got that great fan fest set up. They really do the same thing at the championship game for football. So I mean, we were talking about. So what is there for fans this week at the SEC Media Days? And it hit me, it's just football talk that's there for the fans. That's the fan event. It's what everybody's waiting for. That's right. Uh, you know, this is a media event, and it is a media days, and it's for uh, it's for the media. We do have a little bit of a fan element to it that uh, here just over the years has developed that fans come into the lobby, and so every day you'll see a different set of fans depending on who's on that day. They know who the, the who the teams of the day are, so their fans will come and camp out in the lobby and see their coaches and players as they as they funnel into the uh, hotel. Uh, so that's about the fan element right now. Now we added something last year when we were in Atlanta. We had an additional day at the front end of. 
media days that we were uh, right across the street from Centennial Olympic Park. And so we actually had a fan event that was kind of a uh, much less, much, much like the uh, fan fest that we have for the basketball tournament and so on, where you could play games. We had a concert. Um, SEC Nation actually had broadcast from out there. So uh, we had a fan event. We'll probably do the same thing next year. So when we can, we'll, we'll have a fan element to just about anything that we do um, uh, if it's conducive to it. You know, usually when you're at the, the baseball tournament or the basketball tournament, there's a little bit of um, uh, you, you start getting tired. You know, after the third or fourth day, you're on your feet so much, walking around, setting up, breaking down and everything like that. Is that the sense at, at, at football media days, too, or is there also the sense that you kind of don't want this event to end anytime soon? Well, you know, it's just beginning of the football season, so you know you're not you're not tired of it by any means. It's kind of the beginning of a new year. There's a lot of new talk. Everybody's unbeaten. There's a lot of excitement. Uh, so, and, it, and it's fun the way it transpires is because we bring in um, uh, two teams at a time, and they're walking around the hotel and doing interviews and moving from room to room, and then they leave, and two more teams come in. So you've always got some new storyline going. You've got some new activity, and um, there's a lot of interest. So there's no dip in interest it's uh it cares all the way through from us from start to finish the excitement level what goes into the decision making process as to the schedule of when coaches speak who, who makes those decisions how do you get it approved we make we make the decisions in our office uh, but you know we get some input from um from the schools on uh their coaches schedules you know we've had coaches who for instance are in europe you know on vacation and they can't come back and participate until wednesday or or somebody else has someplace they have to be on on uh, Thursday morning, so they got to make sure they're on the first three days. It's just a, it's a jigsaw puzzle, and we, and we put it together every year. Uh, there's no really rhyme or reason to it, except that we try to, we, we keep it pretty consistent from year to year with some changes here or there. But uh, you know, we'll try not to put both Mississippi schools on the same day. We'll try to put not put both Alabama schools or both Tennessee schools on the same day. So those things play into it, but there's no real formula to the whole thing. Herb Vincent, SEC Associate Commissioner, here with us on halftime live from Radio Row. Herb, let's go back to 2013 when you heard you were going to be hired in the SEC. What was your initial reaction when you heard the news? I was excited about it. You know, I had been talking. I've been talking to Greg Sankey for quite a while about it. He's the he was the associate commissioner at that time, and uh, I had a pretty good idea that he might get promoted to be commissioner eventually one day. And we we had developed a relationship. Always respected Mike Slive a lot. Uh, loved being at LSU. Or wasn't looking for somewhere else to go. Uh, but if there's any other place I would go, it was probably here for a new challenge. You know, uh, you're you're in a place for a long enough period of time. You've you've done. You feel like you've done the same thing over and over. You've done all you can do. I've been at LSU for 23 years, basically, and uh, I was looking for a new challenge, and this offered that, so I was excited about it. So North Little Rock lived there, then went to LSU, Catholic Highs, where you went to high school. You started, and you started hanging around and kind of doing sports writing when you're initially in college, and then you get hired to do communication. Mm -hmm. What was the transition like from going to writing about sports to more telling what was happening and going to that communication side? Yeah, that happened my freshman year when I first got to LSU that they didn't have really any kind of writing classes, so I just started hanging around the, the student newspaper, yeah. as you said, and I got hired in the sports information office. I didn't know what sports information or sports communications was. I didn't know it was a profession. Um, but uh, that's how I got into it and kind of stayed in it after that. So, initially, when kids get out of college, and I can speak to this, I had a part-time job waiting tables, and additionally with doing part-time sports radio. It's tough. I was reading up on you. The USFL folded like mm-hmm. a year or two out when you're 
getting a job and you go out to what LA uh-huh. and then all of a sudden you don't have a job right. what was that like trying to look for a job at such a young age and just like go through that turmoil so often or not often but early on right out of college well, I think I was prepared to move around a lot right after college uh, to find where I wanted to be and so I moved originally went to work for the New Orleans Breakers the USFL then the LA Express the USFL and as you said they folded so I had to find another job I just got really lucky and there was a job open at Southwestern Louisiana and Dan McDonald is a great SID there for many years um, a friend of mine and he had the job open and I, got, I took that job and he gave me an opportunity to come back I knew it was probably not someplace I would stay forever uh, but it's a good chance you know when you got to have a job you got to have a job and that was a great place to be uh, he ran a great operation it was close to Baton Rouge where I knew a lot of people uh, and so I came back there and uh, I got lucky to find something you got to find something you know you got to look for you got to look God, for a job just, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I was there for a year and then actually that, then left there to come work in the SEC office for the first time worked there for two years and went back to LSU so uh, that's kind of the way it was I knew for a while I was going to move around a lot and then after I got to LSU I kind of settled in I mean, when, when, when you're when you're working as a sports information director at a university, you're in charge of the communications coming out of the university and, and getting and getting stories and uh, you know written about players and about programs from a positive standpoint. When you're working for a conference, you know, and specifically the SEC, do you look at your job that you are working for 14 schools instead of one? I know that the you know the conference itself is is independent from the schools, but they still are. The schools all all in one place is. How do you view your job as the commi- associate commissioner of communications out of the SEC? It's a. I see it as a as a as a job that we're servicing our institutions, and we do that two ways. One is we amplify the stories that they tell and what they're doing. We're all real storytellers. We're telling the story of our schools, our institutions, our student athletes. So we in the conference office, we try to amplify the stories of our schools, but we also try to find those things that are common that make the whole conference great. And so if there's some statistics that says the SEC put more teams in Major League Baseball dra- in the Major League Baseball draft than any other conference. That's good for all of our schools. So, so yeah, you're working for the schools and working for the conference as its own entity at the same time. Now, I know, I know, we're talking we're on football media days right here, but I think you, a lot of your roots in in the SID departments went back to baseball. And I see, I saw a picture of you doing a public address <laughs> at an LSU baseball game. And the comment on the the, the, the the caption said, when there were fewer than 100 fans at LSU baseball games right. routinely. I just can't even picture that. It was, yeah. Nobody went to baseball games. People used to go to ba- LSU baseball games to study because it was so quiet there. <laughs> and, but that was before Skip Burtman got there, and uh, he really turned it around. I was fortunate enough that I was there when Skip started. And um, then when I came back later as SID, he was still the baseball coach and worked with him for many years. Um, and then I actually left the the left LSU to come to Birmingham a second time to work for a company called College Sports Southeast, which was really the same concept as the SEC Network, but it was privately owned and uh, didn't survive. So after two years, I was looking for a job again, like you referenced, looking for a job, and Skip was now the athletic director at LSU, and he hired me back as, a, as associate athletic director. So my ties go to baseball to LSU baseball and to Skip Burtman in particular. But baseball's always been my favorite sport. It's the only sport I played. It's the only one I could in any, any good at at all. I wasn't very good, but it's the only sport I played. And so uh, baseball's my baseball's kind of my sport. Phil, I think you and I can attest to it. And it seems like Herb can attest to it as well. It's, and we always kind of joke about this. It's not always about the grades you make. It's about the hands you shake. And it seems like these connections yeah. Yeah. have really helped you over the years. 
you guys kind of have a coach-like mentality here at the SEC. You're always looking to improve. There's never a, we're going to be here and this is the level we're going to be at. Always trying to get better. Herb, what do you think the most difficult thing is that the SEC faces today? As a conference, mm-hmm. uh, there's all kinds of issues out there that face that we face that everybody else faces in college athletics. And, uh, and we try to keep those topics uh, on top of mind as they're developing. Right now, sports gambling is an issue. We don't know where it's going to go. I don't know if it's good or bad. I really just don't know, but it's new for certain, and we got to we got to follow things like that. Uh, you know, you, you hear, you see that uh, attendance is dropping in some places. Fortunately, the SEC we've led the nation in attendance for twenty something years, but it still doesn't mean that it's not a challenge because you've got a different way that uh, fans consume content now. And, you know, a lot of the revenue that we generate through the Southeastern Conference that we send back to the schools is through our broadcast rights, and so we have to make sure we stay on top of how consumers are how, how our fans are consuming content and make sure we're addressing it the right way to maximize our revenue but also to service our fans so there's all kinds of things I've kind of danced around several issues but those are some of them and those are important ones and I know the gambling what you guys have done I think is a conference sometimes you're first to the table sometimes you're not when it comes to making a decision the SEC network is a perfect example of that you guys waited you don't want the first one to have its own network but as you can see from all this and just the, the revenue it's made it's sometimes it pays off to wait right. rather than be the first one I want, we were joking about this before you came on. Tell us about the Shaquille O'Neal necktie story that <laughs> that just said uh, you, you and I were talking about before you came on. I was a, I was the sports information director at LSU when Shaquille O'Neal was playing for us. And one year he won, uh, I think it was his junior year, which would have been his last year, maybe his sophomore year. He was the SEC Athlete of the Year. And the SEC Athlete of the Year is uh, honored at our spring meetings in Destin. So I was already in Destin, went to pick him up at the airport, brought him back to the hotel. Sure enough, I get back to my room and he calls me and he says uh, do we have to wear a tie tonight? And I said well you do. Said, you don't have one? He said no, I've got one. I just don't know how to tie it. And so I said alright. So I come to his room. So I went to his room to tie a tie for him. Well I don't know how to tie someone else's tie. It's different. So, so I tied it on myself and slipped it over my head. Of course I tied it so that the tie went all down almost past my knees and I put it around his neck and it went about to midway between his chest and his belly button. So he, <laughs> that's how big he was. <laughs> but uh, that's my experience. And I, and I knew had a tie tie because I went to Catholic high school and uh, and we had to wear a tie every day with Father Tribu. So um, that's my history with uh, Shaquille O'Neal and the ties. That's a pretty good story. So Doug Gottlieb on his radio show, he always makes this reference. He's very open about it. He said, there's only one job I would ever accept outside of the current job he's in. It's to be head coach of basketball at Oklahoma State University. Fayetteville's near and dear to my heart. That's I grew up in Little Rock kind of like you did, but the best years of my life were in Fayetteville, Arkansas. Arkansas, and I absolutely am just am in love with that city. You think about Baton Rouge, and how I know you're here now, and I know you have a great job. But do you ever think back? Do you ever miss it? And I know you probably it's like a, a given to pull type thing, but do you ever miss just being in Baton Rouge? Sure, I think you miss anywhere that you that you've been if you had a good experience there. So I miss the food, I miss the people in Baton Rouge. I usually tell people it's that order: food and people. <laughs> the food is awesome there. But I have a lot of friends there. Uh, I still have a sister who lives there. Uh, you know, you kind of miss 
being on a campus because that's where you really interact with student athletes. I like it here this week because I'm meeting some people and talking to some student athletes. Uh, in the conference office, you don't do that nearly as much, so I miss the relationships with the student athletes. Uh, but you know, there's some things I miss about uh, North Little Rock, Arkansas as well. I grew up a Razorback fan, and I miss going to War Memorial Stadium for games on Saturday afternoons, Saturday nights, and I have great memories of that. So I think anywhere you've been, you, you miss it, but you create new memories, and uh, Birmingham's a great place to be, and I'm really enjoying being in the Southeastern Conference now. So you know, Herb- Phil, Phil, real quick, uh, for Joe Burrow, you, did you hear him earlier this week? He's, he was asked about the food difference. He's like, yeah, Louisiana food's better than Ohio food. I will say, though, Columbus, Ohio is a test market for all the fast food restaurants. That's like all the all the new <laughs> sandwiches that they try out, and for you, all the new pizza that you know all these other places put out. It all goes to Columbus first, so watch out. I, I, I'll say this: I, I would take I would take Louisiana cuisine over just about anything. So, no doubt about that. Uh, Herb, back in. Um, in May, uh, when I was in, in, in Birmingham for the SEC baseball tournament, uh, Cole Cunningham gave me a, well, I, I, you could say tour, but we stood inside the replay center for about 20 minutes, and he went over uh, what the replay system is like, you know, and, and, and I was mesmerized by it. And I, this, this, this SEC officiating Twitter feed, which is going to kind of take you inside um, I think that replay center mm-hmm. and also explain a lot of the uh, decisions made, I think, by officials on the field and officials in that replay center, I think is fascinating. And to me, that's one of the biggest things to come out this week from the SEC office. And it's been three days. You already have all, almost 26,000 followers uh-huh. and probably one million nasty comments. Right. Yeah, we knew the comments would come. That's going to come. It would be, you know, they come anyway. Uh, and it's, it's the passion of the fans. We understand it. But it's an opportunity for us to inform and to educate. And as times have changed with officiating, you know, there used to not be an analyst in the booth for every game analyzing officiating. Uh, there used to not be replay where the game actually actually comes to a stop and all you do is talk about officiating for two or three minutes until there's a decision. And then half the people think you're right and half the people think you're wrong. And so it generates interest in officiating. So now, you know, I had this conversation with somebody at the NFL. They said the same thing. Once Fox put an analyst in the booth and started talking about officiating, the NFL had to get in that game as well. We feel like the same way. We have to have our voice in there talking about officiating, talking about how we Hire officials, train officials, evaluate officials, how we hold them accountable. Uh, that all happens during the course of the year on game day. We haven't figured out exactly what we're going to do on game day. We're kind of seeing what the NFL has done and where their successes have been. But there's some educational opportunities on game day to talk about how rules have been applied, how things have been interpreted. Uh, are we going to comment on every play or every controversial play? No. But it does give us an opportunity to weigh in more than we have in the past. Well, I think it's fascinating. It's definitely something we pay attention to quite a bit. Herb Vincent, uh, really enjoyed talking with you. Uh, thanks so much for your time and for your thoughts on all of this. And uh, we'll be uh, hopefully we can be in touch again soon. Well, it's always good to talk to folks from Arkansas. I enjoy it, and thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. You're listening to Halftime with Phil Elson and Ty Richardson. Here's Jones on a keeper. Out over the 40 to midfield. Matt Jones may take it to the Welcome back on Halftime, ESPN Arkansas and HitThatLine.com. We are joined by Gabe Bach, who hosts radio on Tex Ags, 8 to 11 in the morning. He's right there at Radio Row with Ty Richardson. Gabe, good to talk to you. I know we see each other uh, usually, sometimes women basketball season. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's Yeah, that's right. And uh, you guys had... Uh, 
we had a, quite a nice little battle there at the SEC tournament. You know, our, and Arkansas has a little more success against Texas A&M in the oh, other yeah. sports than they do in football. I think all the fans <laughs> listening would trade that success for one win this year. <laughs> I think it's so they would. frustrating for these fans. Uh, I know some cat wearing 17, a little breadstick of a young college kid that would love to, A, play in that game, and B, get you guys a win in that game, right? There's no doubt about that. But, hey, by the way, great call on the World Series thing that went viral and blew up. You can definitely credit Tom Hart for helping that thing blow up on Twitter. But uh, I love your stuff on play-by-play. I'm a huge Dave Van Horn fan. And everything that that guy represents as a man and a coach and everything else. And, of course, he, Rob Childress is a Van Horn disciple, so I know a lot about Dave and through Matt Deggs and all those guys. So, But you do a great job on that stuff, Phil. I appreciate that very much, Gabe. And I know you're talking about Nick Starkle. You know, he'd be, oh, yeah. he'd like to be the guy who would, who would end the streak. And yeah. that's, that's the, there are a lot of position battles on offense right now, none bigger than Ben Hicks versus Nick Starkle. My opinion is eventually Starkle becomes the starter. I think Hicks probably starts week one. Why would Nick Starkle overtake Ben Hicks during camp just to the naked eye in practice? Right, that, and that's where I think you're, you're looking at it. It's the same reason. I think they're the two most intriguing battles in the SEC, probably any position, because quarterback's going to overtake other positions, is Tommy Stevens and Keaton Thompson Mississippi State and Nick Starkle and Ben Hicks at, uh, at, at Arkansas. I'll say this, Phil, is you and I were probably walking around and talk to people that, that know a little bit about Arkansas's program and think, yeah, Ben Hicks, because of the familiarity at SMU with Morris and his program, but Starkle's got – real familiarity with how the system's supposed to work too and let me just ask you this you guys will know about it better than me but and i nick's got a bazooka now I mean, this guy's got a cannon for an arm he does make mistakes at times and most of his production if you really look at it at a&m was against weaker competition he really struggled at lsu he did throw a pick six and late in mop-up duty against mississippi state really good defense that he also had a, a couple of nice throws in late in that game um it wasn't necessarily light in the world on fire against UCLA before he got hurt at the end of the year. So, you know, the 499-yard game in the bowl game was against Wake Forest. But you also got to remember he was a young player, too. He was a young player. I, I think he's really good. But I, I go back to this. You guys might know a little more about the, the inside baseball, quote-unquote, on this deal is if Morris loved Ben Hicks so much, why go get Nick Starkle? If he truly loved Ben Hicks and thought he was definitely the guy, why create controversy right there? Why not establish the guy who was there in the spring as he's our guy, he's our leader, Clearly, he saw something that felt the need to go get number 17. Nick Starkle, I, I really like him a lot, man. I, I, I'm agree with you. I think eventually he'll start. I'll tell you what. I th- I think you're exactly right. I think I think that that Chad Morris knew exactly what he was getting in Ben Hicks, and that includes yep. the limitations. He right. knows he's getting a kid who knows the offense, and and he's even mentioned on his comments earlier today about how good Hicks was in spring practice in as far as leadership and helping teach the younger quarterbacks this this intricate offense which they only got about 30 to 40 percent of the playbook in last year so for me the battle is kind of like a guy who knows the offense versus somebody who's got overall better tools as a quarterback yeah and where arkansas is coming off two wins it was a nightmare for you for you guys and your fan base and everything else who can go out there and sling it around and go win me two more two more games than 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 hicks you know who can go out there yeah manage it knows the system everything else maybe not make a ton of mistakes in my system or this guy can go beat a team this guy can go to Ole Miss 
And while Ty's out there trying to find the girl, the uh, Mississippi Queen, before the game and try to figure out the hot mess and a red dress, and he'll probably find her. She'll be going along 18 miles an hour, but just make sure she's uh, – Make sure she steers clear of the vodka waters pregame. I'll t- put it that much. But but at the same time, I knew Ty would get a chuckle out of that because he didn't realize that was us that did that. That's my that's my best and worst moment as a journalist or broadcaster my whole life. At the worst, same time, best. <laughs> but at the same time, who can go there to the Grove? Is it the Grove? Right? You're at, Ar- Ar- mm-hmm. at, at Arkansas. Grove. Like that's a huge swing game for Arkansas. I think who can go over there and win that game? That's a porous defense with a really good defensive coordinator. They got some players inside. I think Starkle's the guy can go win that game. Starkle's the guy that stri- – if you're asking me as an Aggie, and these games are always tight, Jerry World, and I don't like playing there. I don't know if you guys – I'd much rather go to Fayetteville and Kyle every other year. I'm so tired of the series there. And we win it. A&M's guys win it. They've been winning it since Petrino left. So the AM fans would say the exact same thing. Even though you walk away happy, this kind of we're just we're ready to go to home and home with this series. I think a lot of the fans are. Uh, but at the same time, the guy that if Ben Hicks is starting quarterback, I'm less fearful at looking at AM's roster than I would be Nick Starkle because I might I think he might be able to just sling that sucker around for a little bit. And Phil, the clip he's referring to is the one I put up on Twitter when it was announced <laughs> game time six thirty that Arkansas would be playing in the Grove. <laughs> Right. He was actually uh, the interviewer and videotaper of that those two cute old Miss girls that were being oh. talked about. You know what I'm yeah, talking about? I don't no, know absolutely. how we found her. It was so great because the the best part of that clip <laughs> for those who haven't seen you got to you got to look it up. It's you can go to Texas YouTube. And, YouTube, it's over a million hits. Yeah, and and Gabe asked, Gabe's talking to this girl. He's like, and she's like, we don't always win games, but. We always win the party. We never lose a party. Yeah, she goes, oh, I have school spirit, but I would not have school spirit without a couple of vodka waters. waters. <laughs> it's all Miss to a T. It really oh, is. It's that is all Miss to a T minus the khaki pants. Yeah, yeah. I will. I, I hope. Uh, fingers on. My, our boss is listening right now. Fingers crossed that I will hopefully get to go down to Oxford this year. We'll see how the work goes out. Phil, we did not drop the mic on that deal. She literally dropped the mic. She pulled the camera. Me. She literally. No, she gave a rant and then dropped it. It was awesome. <laughs> it was great. Uh, it's talking here with Gabe, uh, excuse me, Gabe Bach, Texas Radio, 8 to 11 down there in College Station. Gabe, so we're talking about Nick Starkle. Yeah. And I think at this time last year, I thought he was going to be the A&M starter. And I Maybe obviously both. You, you knew more about this than I did. And then Kellen Mond takes it. Why did Jimbo end up going with Kellen Mond last year over Nick Starkle? Yeah, that's an interesting question. A lot of us thought Nick Starkle, after the 499-yard passing game, was going to be, you know, coming off the bowl. He was he he was the starter. He got injured. He reclaimed his starting spot. He had a strong end. But Jimbo was looking for a lot of different things. And, A, he really wanted a guy that can run and do, make some things happen, too. And he was looking for different things and leadership and intangibles. And, and also, Jimbo's a different cat now. He still coaches guys like – he coached them in the early 90s, right? Pre-Twitter, sensitivity wasn't like it is now. And I'm not saying Starkle wasn't coachable. He was. He's a really good leader. He's very vocal. He's more vocal than Kellen Mond. But he was looking to see, A, who can I really lean on, right, and 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 be able to to withstand that coaching and prove to come out of this fire. I'm going to put a, I'm put my finger on both these cats. Who's going to come out? I thought Mon did a better job of that. I, frankly, I really did. Uh, at the same time, who uh, who wins the team? Who did, the team is going to kind of show me daily in practice. It was airtight. I mean, I think Mon won this thing 55 to 45, right? I think on a hundred point, you just slice the pie. 
It was very, it was very tight. I don't think it was a landslide, but any stretch of the imagination, I think Jimbo really likes Nick Starkle. But you got to make a decision and go with it. You can't have the Sumlin thing like he did in 15 with those two guys with Allen and Murray. So what he did, I think Mon just won the team. Mon, when he walked into a room, has a presence. And you can be a great talker. Man, have some presence. And he Nick said Stark he's the best great... quarterback in the SEC. Couple or right, he did, he did, he did, he really did. And and I, I'd much rather him say he's the best quarterback in the SEC if I'm an A&M fan than say ah, I'm about third, fourth, something like that. You don't want yeah. your quarterback saying he's, you know, I'm out middle of the road right now. We'll see what happens. But uh, so the confidence there, I think he truly believes that. I heard from two sources, one of which was on the jet with the team, who said Jimbo. The quote was Jimbo freaking loved that. He loved that his quarterback thinks that and and that he truly believes what he's saying, even though not one person covering this event would say Kellerman's the best quarterback in the SEC. But I don't love Jake Fromm, frankly. I mean, I like him. Do I just love him, like, without all those playmakers? Now, they're going to run the ball for a million yards Swift, this year. Yeah. yeah, but, I mean, their leading receiver had, like, nine catches or – 13 catches or something last year. I mean, they got some questions, too. And he's good, but he's a McCarran-type good, I think. I don't I don't love Fromm. So, I, it, I don't think there's just miles talent-wise ahead of between Mond and Fromm, frankly. I love Kellamond, and I think uh, I think Kellamond just won the team. And when Jimbo sensed that, he named him the starting quarterback. It's not any knock on Nick Starkle. He'd love to have Nick Starkle on his roster right now. I promise you that. So, you mentioned Mond. I actually had him second-team All-SEC because I was thinking about just yeah. what you were because George is going to be run oriented this year and they might not be as deep as they have been the past few years when you think about like Chubb and, and some of the guys that they've had but they, like Fromm is like a system quarterback like you're right. referring to and that's why I think Maude will get more and have more opportunities than say a Jake Fromm yeah and he'll have a ton of spotlight opportunities yeah. I mean at Clemson, Bama at home, at Georgia, at LSU, LSU where all the whole college football world is going to be watching well where was he at his best last year he was at his best whenever uh, he was at his best in the Clemson game, in the LSU game, like when the chips are down, clutchability factor, like hanging in a balance. That's where Mond actually was at his best. He was also really good, like 11 TDs, one pick or something after the uh, middle of the Ole Miss game, early third quarter Ole Miss. Down the stretch, incredibly good. How could you have possibly been better than Kellen Mond in that 7 OT game late? Like right down there, down the stretch, the guy was unbelievably good. He's got just, he's got that it that Jimbo was looking for. Not that Nick doesn't. And you, I told you earlier, Man, Phil, I don't know about you guys, but I'm a huge fan of Rocking Boyd. No yeah. question that guy's starting at A&M if he was still there. Unfortunately, the academics and everything else, but he's come out of it. I, th- I like what he's about. Uh, I think he would have done a lot of – I think he would have been able to spell Travion a whole lot last year, and I don't think he, he takes a back seat to Travion Williams that much from a talent standpoint. I, don't, I love that kid and what he's about. So, the two, you know, A&M's potential backfield, <laughs> if it's Kevin Sumler were still the coach, it would be Nick Starkle and Raheem Boyd. If as long as he could keep him, you know, he wasn't able to keep him at A&M. But had that been the case and it worked out the way they wanted it to, that's A&M's backfield right now. Instead, it's Arkansas. Let's go back to some Arkansas, Texas A&M game. Start 2013. Johnny Manziel comes in. They went 45-30. It was a lot closer game than people anticipated. That's the one in Fayetteville? That was the one in Fayetteville. Well, they played two safeties back, and they they decided to run all day. Yeah. So So that was a crazy game plan for A&M. It's like, we're just going to run all day, and Johnny's a decoy in that game. He just used that. Then following year, OT loss, another uh, OT loss in 2015. Trevor Knight, 2016, Travion. 
Javion Williams. They kind of open it up in the fourth quarter. 2017, heartbreaking loss. Austin Allen throws that pick over the middle. Yeah. And last yeah. year, it looks like Ty Story has a chance. I know he it. ends up throwing a pick. Of yeah. those games I just listed, Gabe, what was the one that Texas A&M should have lost? Oh, 15. Was it 15? It was 14 or 15, and it was lack of. You tell me. I always remember more details on the losses than the wins. Yeah. But it was, you know, A&M shouldn't have won the Kenny Hill game at 14, and he just got high through for 400 yards, like 250 in the fourth quarter, something like that, and hit Kirk for the for the touch, uh, Malcolm Kennedy for the touchdown in overtime. At, but the, the next year, was it Jonathan Williams had a run for a touchdown when you already had a double-digit lead? And then thanks, Skipper, man. Yep. It was Skipper way late, and it wasn't even close to the play. And I think it was on Miles Garrett. Miles Garrett got demolished. Like, he could have turned that dude. I tell you what, Miles Garrett got pummeled in the arc because they have a physical team, right? Bielema was One thing you say is they play a physical brand of football in the trenches, and Miles got smoked. Like, he wasn't – it took a couple weeks to recover from those Arkansas games. Those were wars in the trenches back then. But when you got like a 12, 13-point lead, something like that, you just scored a touchdown from Williams. The game was over, and then it got called back, and – Somehow a was able to steal that sucker. It was, that was a cra- – and it, it happened almost the exact same. Remember that? Goes into OT, first play, A&M hits Kirk just like the previous year, first play in overtime, almost the same play. And then, you know, defense, the defense, which was very porous in, in 14 and 15, 15 under Chief, so you got the ties there. It's uh, found a way to get it done in overtime, just, just stealing. I can't imagine the heartbreak from Brett Bielema. What's your, in those two games. But let, 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 let us let you go with the thought on Chief. What's your opinion of Chief? There's, we got some folks that we have them that, oh, that come on the show man. that think the game has passed him by and think he's been overrated yeah. and living off of reputation. Others think that he can adapt. What's your What's your opinion of John Chavis? <laughs> so those are the same things that we were asking people about their opinion of John Chavis three or four years ago. I thought it was a little bit of a curious hire. Frankly, I really did. Is Morris looking for some stability, looking for an experienced guy? When John Chavis was hired at A&M, and and A&M was looking for a D.C., I made a comment that, okay, Sumlin should probably give a call to Will Muschamp. They're buddies, and, uh, and Muschamp was between jobs. He ended up going to Auburn, I think, back to Auburn for a year before getting the South Carolina gig. And, and Olin Buchanan, our columnist, has been a Heisman Trophy voter since 94. He goes, no, if you want to get the best guy in the country, get John Chavis. I mean, this was five years ago, twenty going into 2015. After the 2014 season, four and a half years ago, we had a guy, and, and nobody would have disagreed. The best guy was John Chavis, but he had a ton. I mean, all those LSU guys, all those Louisiana kids. Matthew Peters. Oh, you just go on Clayborn. and on. They were, they were loaded. And a slow, plodding offense that allowed his guys to be fresh. John Chavis's last year's defensive coordinator at LSU, I think they played three fewer games than A&M on snap count on snap count. Three fewer games than A&M in the 12-game regular season schedule on snap count. So when he goes to A&M and it's fast-paced and all of a sudden you're three and out in a 45-second drive and your guys are getting gassed, he'd never had to deal with that before. He didn't have to deal with it at Tennessee, certainly never dealt with it at LSU, and now he's in this fast-paced offense. I Frankly, I'm surprised Chief took it, but you need a job. And and I was kind of itch. I was very curious that Chad did it uh, because Chad is an Aggie, even though he doesn't want to talk about A&M that much. He is an Aggie. He watches A&M games. He saw how Chief didn't. It, it, it was oil and water with a fast-paced offense, and his guys were drained, especially the havoc way he tries to play. Right? I mean, all out. It's it's that's fine at 60 snaps. It's really hard at or 40. 
48 to, you know, 60 snaps, 58 snaps, something like that. But it's a lot harder at 80 snaps to play the way he wants to play. I don't know if the game's passed him by. I just don't know if it's a, a great fit all in all. I, I certainly didn't feel like it was at A&M. And I like him. I mean, I like John Chavis. Game's good stuff. Really appreciate you stopping by, man. Hopefully we can do it again once we uh, come close to uh, to the game in Jerry World. No doubt. Thanks, Phil. Thanks, Doc. You're listening to the Halftime Podcast, presented by Jeff's Clubhouse. Check out the Bud Light Morning Rush podcast at hitthatline.com.